Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, new telework guidance won't change the culture at your agency. It doesn't matter about the person being seen. It matters that we are creating a vision that helps drive them towards outcomes. Time to throw your cyber risk management framework out the window? We need to move to effects-based cyber as opposed to this risk management construct. I hear people say risk management, risk management, and I get it. And it's go time for the Office of Personnel Management's IT future. I inherited you know, budgets that have not, we weren't sure we were even gonna be there. So I've needed the TMF funding to put some of our modernization efforts on the table. It's Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. The program's on site at Imagination 2021, the Executive Leadership Conference, hosted by ACT-IAC in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Today, you'll hear from some of the government and industry leaders that are here, and you'll hear about the trends that are coming out of this conference and coming back to agencies. FedScoop has full-team coverage on FedScoop.com. You can read lots of stories about what's happened here today and yesterday. A programming note before we get into today's conversations that the Daily Scoop podcast is observing Thursday's Veterans Day holiday. We are here tomorrow. You'll get a preview of that show in a couple of minutes, and then we're back on Friday with a new edition of the Daily Scoop podcast. The Office of Personnel Management will release new guidance on telework and remote work soon. That guidance will help managers and employees understand the government's goals and guidelines for working out of the office. Daryl Peake is head of Federal Strategic Partnerships for Google Cloud and a member of the planning committee for ELC 2021. He's former director of digital innovation and solutions at the Department of Homeland Security. I asked him what lessons he and his fellow planners learned from putting a hybrid conference together that could help government leaders planning their hybrid futures. Really, it comes down to consistency of the outcome, Mm -hmm. right? Being able to provide value not only through the speakers, through the engagement, but also through the topics that we are going to be covering. And as long as it's relevant to those departments and agencies, to the private sector, I think that we were able to really turn the corner and that buzz started to happen. And it's amazing how that hockey stick starts to happen. Uh, When you're you're initially starting out, you have those, uh, you know, those innovators or or forward leaners. And then it just became, everyone was talking about it. Now is the thing, the FOMO element that they didn't want to miss out. Mm -hmm. And and what we're seeing right now is the, everybody's here and they are having such a great time because of the conversation, the consistency, and also the leadership that happened in order to get us here. And I'll say that, you know, being able to work with Dave and Jonathan Maria and the rest of the the planning committee has been incredible because we've all worked together and we all tried to collaborate on that consistent outcome of having a great conference experience. This morning was an example of what I'm talking about, too. Claire Martirana, the federal chief information officer, spoke uh, in person. She was here. Absolutely. And the GSA administrator, Robin Carnahan, was remote. Yes. She was at her location. How do you do that messaging so that the person who wants to engage in a remote fashion can at least feel engaged and, and get that value? You talked about value add. Right. You know, you want to make sure that person's getting the same or similar value out of it as the person that's here in the room. 
Absolutely. I think it's the, the planning aspect, the delivery aspect, and then the feedback element. Um, so from a planning perspective, making sure that everyone understands that there is going to be a in-person slash virtual element. So when you are speaking to the audience, understand that the audience may not be the, the person that's right in front of you in, in the case for Claire, but also for Robin, it was more how do you really engage and, and keep people interested because you are coming in virtually. And also having an in-person moderator, I think that really helped. Having yeah. Tom there in person moderating it really kept the in-person crowd engaged as well as the virtual yeah. so so i think those two things coming together uh was really important and also i really like the uh the the fact that they were going into detail on what they were trying to achieve mm-hmm. um of course we mentioned that with claire and her being able to talk about heavily about the customer experience but also the need for a public-private partnership and then when you heard about robin she's looking at how do we return to work return to in person in a, a a very uh thoughtful way so so those things were really coming through yeah. i think in the discussion today and i didn't really have any since from my own personal perspective, that anything was disconnected. So I'm going to put you back in government. All right. And I'm going to ask you to take those three facets of this production and apply them to what you would do in leadership role in the government. Planning, delivery, and feedback as far as putting information, putting leadership principles and so on out there for your employees, for your team. Absolutely. How do you apply each of those in a government setting to continually refine what is probably going to be our reality moving forward. Absolutely. I believe it starts with culture. Really creating a culture of engagement. Uh, One of the things that was a challenge before the pandemic happened is that you had leaders who were very apprehensive about not seeing employees in office and in seat. And we had to change our mindset in saying... It doesn't matter about the person being seen. It matters that we are creating a vision that helps drive them towards outcomes. And I believe that is the, the, the important part of the planning aspect, uh, the, uh, the, the conversation about measuring twice and cutting once, mm-hmm. right? Being able to say, we want to go in this direction. This is the plan. These are the objectives. These are the targets that we're going to establish. And then let's move into it. Uh, we talked about agile delivery as well, right? And being able to have that agility. So though we didn't have the traditional Kanban board of an of a agile team, we were always measuring and moving our user stories. So we were saying, okay, well, in-person event. No, well, we may be hybrid. And, and being able to say, okay, team, this is what we're going to do going forward. And the most important part of that is the feedback. Mm-hmm. What was the feedback that we were receiving in order for us to make certain pivots and movements? Because we are doing outreach. So we're talking to government personnel. We're talking to the private sector. And we're saying, well, you should come to this conference. Well, is the conference going to be in person? Who's going to be there? Mm -hmm. And being able to have flexibility to create transparency. And I think that was important as we started to get closer to the event because it's saying if you don't you don't have FOMO if you don't know who's coming. Right. Right. But when you start hearing about the speakers and the executives that are going to be in the room, well, definitely you want to be there. We've talked a lot about the new normal. Yes. Everybody has over the last 18 months looking forward to it. What's it going to look like? All of that. Is it possible, do you think, that there's not going to be such a thing as a new normal, that everything will be fluid in the way that you just described it and that each individual team meeting, each individual Uh, speaking engagement, each individual conference like this will have completely different components than the last one and the next one. Yeah, I 
I, I definitely think that it will just be a normal. Yeah. Um, I, I used to talk about, I believe it was 1919, 1918, uh, the influenza. Yeah. Right? And when that first happened, right, we had some of the same elements. There were certain quarantine that was happening. There were certain people that did not want to come back into the environment. And there was a, a, a tipping point where folks said, you know, it's all right to get back in person. It's all right to start to engage. But what we benefited from is that we're able to get speakers that we traditionally wouldn't get. I was in a session where you had the deputy mayor of Los Angeles and on a panel engaging in a way that if she was in person, it would be in the same experience. Mm-hmm. So really, how do we create that experience for our attendees? So no matter if they are in person or virtual, they still get that same component. And, and one of the things that I would say is that having that drumbeat meeting, and this is going back to how do you really create the outcome that you're trying achieve and it's the drumbeat meeting and being able to say okay well let's meet weekly let's make sure we have clear outcomes and then see how we're doing on those outcomes and if we need to pivot we need to pivot if we need to add things we add them but if you don't have the meeting then it is going to definitely start to fester and there may be some things that are missed so mm-hmm. i say the the in-person engagement consistent drumbeat now we didn't have daily stand-ups but we did meet uh two to three times a week to just make sure that we were on track for our outcomes that were expected of us daryl peak of google cloud you can read more about the next normal for agencies in today's show notes at the daily com. the next big event i'm attending is palo alto networks's public sector ignite virtual conference leading government and cyber experts like the command of U.S. Cyber Command. General Paul Nakasone will join me there. I hope you'll join too. It's happening Thursday, November 18th. You'll learn about key cybersecurity issues impacting agencies like Zero Trust and Endpoint Detection and Response. You can see the agenda and sign up now at ignite.paloaltonetworks.com. The cyber lead at the General Services Administration says agencies have made, quote, a lot of progress in implementing zero trust. Dan Jacobs, GSA, made those comments on a panel on zero trust at ELC 2021 yesterday. Rob Carey's president of Cloudera Government Solutions and vice president of Cloudera Public Sector. He's former principal deputy chief information officer at the Defense Department and former CIO of the Navy. He moderated the Zero Trust panel, and I asked Rob what misconceptions he hears about Zero Trust. So I think there's a perception that it's a new thing. I think there's a perception that you just can, like, do it. It's a singular motion, and you're done. And and one of the things I try to mention is, you know, you have to actually think through this at a very deep level, both your network and your agency's mission. And you need to understand uh, what does goodness look like, right? If you were successful, what does that look like? Are you in the end zone jumping up and down with your football? Or what does it look like? What does success look like? How does this fit with the priorities of your investments that you already have going on? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know your mission? Do you know your network at a level of fidelity heretofore probably not really examined? So, you know, the zero trust architecture uh, construct requires, you've heard the term micro segmentation or network segmentation. So you need to understand literally what servers, what data, who's accessing it. I mean, it's a level of control and fidelity that most of the CISOs have not uh, really experienced yet. Cyber has been a macro sport, and cyber is now moving to be a micro sport. Okay, what's that transition mean? Transition means time. And, and it means uh, really a level of knowledge that you don't have right now. You just don't – you have to really map your mission to the network and decide, where am I going to place my bets protecting this amount of information or this data 
from the machine-to-machine handshakes, the human-to-machine handshakes, human-to-human handshakes, right? They're all digital now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's what it means is trying to manage that. And so one of the things I said was um, uh, it's a data problem. It is a big data problem. Now you're making more data. Your cyber support, your cybersecurity infrastructure is creating more data that something has to make heads or tails of, right? So that you understand is this working or not. And back to, you know, the first statement I said is, what does goodness look like? If you don't know what goodness looks like, any place will be fine to just pull over and turn the car off. You talked about the investments that people already have going. And I wonder if that's not another misperception of zero trust is that we used to do cyber this way and now we have to do zero trust. And so it requires a whole new architecture and also it requires new investments. And and that sounds like... That's not correct based on what you said. It's not correct, uh, Francis. What what I think uh, we, we discussed, uh, everybody's got CDM going at some uh, way, shape, or form or another. And CDM is the precursor of zero trust, right? So you're at now continuously monitoring the actions of the network, what's going on on a full-time basis. But again, at the macro level, you're not now mapping it to the mission of, let's say, Department of Transportation. Let's talk about FAA, whatever. You've know, you got to get into the nitty-gritty details and say, am I going to afford and can I afford to envelop this business process, this technology, this data, this application with these controls, right? So it's really a focus on certain elements. Now, is money printed for an agency to then convert to ZTA? The answer is no. You're going to continue to invest, but you're now investing at a focus that hopefully has a much higher degree of fidelity and protection of your network resources. If CDM is the precursor of zero trust, Rob, is zero trust the precursor of something else that's coming down the road that we should be thinking about in a multiple-year time frame as we should have been thinking about zero trust when CDM was the thing? You're a great straight man. (laughs) No, I I believe this since I was in government. We need to move to effects-based cyber as opposed to this risk management construct. I hear people say risk management, risk management, and I get it. I mean, trust me, I, I get it. That's where we are. The level of fidelity of our network infrastructure and the ability to protect it is all about taking these controls in the NIST 853, or you, you pick the NIST document, and now map a, a counteraction to that, map a control to uh, 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 an application or an environment. When you're done, you could be com- fully compliant, but you're not secure, right? So it is, it's really about driving towards security. How do you do that? Well, you have to know, I made this investment, I put these chips down, and I'll just make a simple case. I, I, I put a next-gen firewall in. Okay, how do you know that that did anything? Mm-hmm. What's the so what? So back yeah. to, and as I said, the, the, uh, we, we industry need to model this. We need to be able to predict you guys, you know, because everybody's architectures are about the same, but they have different tools. This is where you should put your money down, and this is what you get for putting that money down. We still don't know that. That's still a broad approximation. So to model the precise elements of cyber at a degree of fidelity, so to your point, CDM, ZTA, and what I like to say, effects-based cyber. We predict the effects of tomahawks hitting buildings, Mm -hmm. and we can guess within 1,000 yards what's going to happen pretty accurately. Same thing with air-to-air engagements with jet fighters, things like that. But cyber is that thing that's escaped us. So we owe a 
we owe the government the ability to say, you, Mr. Agency X, should invest in this mm-hmm. because that's where you will der- derive the, the benefit that supports your mission the best. So right there and then a few moments ago, you talked about knowledge. And earlier you said there's a level of knowledge that organizations don't have. Is that knowledge that they don't have haveable? Is, is what they need to know knowable? Or are these abstracts that people are trying to defend against? I think they can know the knowledge. I think they can obtain the knowledge at a level of detail that they haven't had before. Because remember, and I've been this guy, you know, we manage to compliance. We don't manage to security. We manage to compliance. Two different things, right? Compliant, we've said this in public uh, hundreds of times. Compliance is not equal security. If you move the bar to ZTA and say, well, there's where the bar is. Okay, everybody's going to go try to do that, whatever that definition is. Now, if you've done it in a an enclave, if you've done it with an application that's mission critical, you know, you name where you where you've placed it, until you place it in your complete environment and you know you're more secure, you're still just compliant. You can read more about the push toward zero trust in today's show notes at the dailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast. Coming on Wednesday's show, a reorganization's on the way at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Major General Garrett Yee, U.S. Army, is assistant to the director of DISA, and he will be here. That Daily Scoop Podcast debuts Wednesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Technology Modernization Fund could get as much as $500 million more million on top of the billion it got from pandemic recovery legislation. Four federal chief information officers discussed their TMF plans and proposals at the Executive Leadership Conference today. My thanks to ACT-IAC for inviting me to host the panel with USDA CIO Gary Washington, Energy CIO Ann Duncan, OPM CIO Guy Cavallo, and Labor CIO Gundeep Alawalia. In this highlight of that conversation, Alawalia describes what his agency has asked for, what it's gotten, and what it's done with what it's gotten. So let me step back for a moment and, and walk you with our TMF journey. So Gary and I were one of the few uh, folks who got the first TMF award, uh, and it was for um, uh, actually uh, our uh, labor certification for temporary workers uh, program. Um and obviously, uh, many of these are, are farming uh, temp workers. So uh, Gary had a, a, a vested interest. And this business process actually goes across agriculture, uh, labor, then goes to USCIS for uh, adjudicating uh, uh, visa applications and getting the temp workers actually is then uh, uh, completed by state by issuing visas and CBP lets these temp workers into the country. So that is the long process of getting a temp worker, getting a crab picker or a um, apple uh, orchard uh, worker into the country and then going back. I'm I'm pleased to report that because of that TMF and the focus that we we put on this project, this January, uh, we have stopped issuing any paper labor certificates anymore. So we used to, for decades, we used to issue these on currency-like paper uh, to every employer, then it would go through snail mail. And this January, right before the pandemic hit, uh, uh, we were able to, uh, actually previous in January, 
we were able to uh, discontinue our uh, printing operations. And now we have started paying back uh, through the, the savings we did from the printing operations back to the PMF board. So we have successfully navigated, we were one of the few uh, uh, folks in the beginning who got the TMF award and have started repaying it back. Uh, the second award we actually got from TMF board was last year was to actually invest in our uh, data resources, defragment them, make them openly available, uh, and invest in evidence-based uh, uh, decision-making to liberate the tons of data that every department has been sitting, including labor. Uh, and, and we are happy to have embarked on that journey as well. Uh, and now we have submitted uh, 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 three new uh, proposals as well. One is, of course, is, is for the cybersecurity uh, executive order uh, uh, and a couple of others. Uh, one is, again, in that temp worker space. We want to finish off the modernization. Uh, but the third one, I, uh, we have actually collaborated with GSA, and I'm very excited about it, is uh, on accessibility uh, for 508 compliance. I, I think accessibility is a problem. We have a very similar problem across all departments. So uh, the idea is to create some resources, tools, training, as well as some bandwidth for remediation uh, across the federal government and pool it together. And that, that proposal is uh, in front of the board as well. And, and if you can put in a word, Francis, go, go ahead and do so. Because I'm not there physically, so I'm a bit, at a bit of a disadvantage there. Uh, but my, my uh, so we, we prioritize based on uh, need but also then we overlay the appropriations process because there are always programs that are haves and then there are programs that are have nots, right? So we use appropriation working capital fund for IT within the department, TMF board, all as a, uh, a comprehensive funding strategy for our modernization program, right? So that's how we treat all of these funding sources uh, and that's what we have done. And that's the decision-making process as to why we submitted certain projects to the DMF board while we uh, are also looking for appropriation and maybe internal working capital fund mechanisms to fund the rest. Now, Gundeep, two things. First of all, you know, if I put in a word for you, I'm gonna have to put one in for every other CIO in government. <laughs> so I'm, I can't do that. I told Ann, I, would, I knew who she could talk to, that's all, <laughs> that's all. Um, and the other thing is, it doesn't sound like you need my help. It sounds like you're doing just fine on your own. Um, Guy, uh, TMF, you referenced it earlier too. Where are you at OPM? Yeah, one thing about OPM, if you look at the last few years, uh, predicting future modernization costs for OPM has been very difficult. First, uh, background investigations got pulled out of OPM and got moved to DOT. Then under the last administration, OPM was gonna be abolished and merged with o OMB and, and GSA. So if, meanwhile, Congress, uh, NAPA, McKinsey, we have all types of studies that OPM really needs to modernize their technologies. So the documentation is there. You know, we now are stable and we know OPM is not going away. The background investigation part is still under transition, but but uh, being run by DOD. Uh, so 
I inherited, you know, budgets that have not, we weren't sure we were even going to be there. So I've needed the TMF funding to put some of our modernization efforts on the table. Uh, I have six total, so I've had one decided so far, our zero trust. The other five are all about modernizing legacy systems because, again, most most federal employees count on, on uh, OPM for either hiring, uh, health insurance, changing benefits, and if you're a retiree, you count on us to pay you. So we've got a lot of people that we impact. But uh, within, the o within the OPM budget itself, I can't touch the level of modernization that we need. So outside funding like TMF is, is useful. Uh, I'm hoping in our appropriations bill that we get to establish an IT working capital fund. I do not have that today. So that means I have to live purely within the CIO budget each year. And that to keep the lights on budget with a very small amount of modernization, it would take a very long time to do it without these extra sources. So wherever I can, I'm looking for these additional sources. Uh, I'm not trying to do it as a big bang, you know, give me a gazillion dollars and we'll modernize everything at, at OPM at once. Uh, we're taking it in small chunks and, and being much more successful with that. Uh, for example, our retirement services call center was a legacy uh, chicken wire and tape held together call center that would constantly fail. Uh, it helped me prove the cloud. I, I was successful in moving that to a cloud-based call center. And now we're, we're actually getting one full more day of retirees addressed uh, because we can take that much more volume. So for the people that were like, I'm afraid of the cloud, it's not really it, it's already just in helping us do uh, retirement services call center. So that, you know, that was one modernization effort out of many, many more to come. So I'm hoping uh, I'm somewhat successful with some of those initiatives before TMF. And uh, if we do get a working capital fund established, that could be an internal source to do it. But the main thing is I'm gonna be taking it in small but fast chunks uh, instead of doing a big bang. The CIO of OPM, Guy Cavallo, on a CIO panel at ACT IAX ELC today. He was on that panel with USDA CIO Gary Washington, Energy CIO Ann Duncan, and Labor CIO Gundeep Alawalia. You can find a link to watch the entire panel in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney's here in Hershey to help me put the show together, and thanks to the entire Scoop News Group team for contributing. Major General Garrett Yee of DISA is on Wednesday's show. I'm back in Washington. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.